Okay, Boker Tov, we continue in our 10th class on the Haggadah with the commentary of the Masanissim of Rabbi Yaakov Melissa. We now are going to the Dayenu section. We've skipped again a little bit. We did the Makos, and then there's a discussion of exactly how big were the Makos, etc., how many Makos. And then we continue... How many virtues, good virtues, that Hashem has done for us? And the refrain always is, Had Hashem taken us out of Egypt, and didn't make judgments against the Egyptians in punishing them, it would have been enough. So the... Uh, Sadiq here does not go through every Dayenu, but goes through a number of the Dayenus with the commentary on each of them. So let's just get the right page over here. Yes. So he starts with, remember, each one of these is we're thanking Hashem for giving us something. So, Hashem, had Hashem taken us out of Egypt, certainly that's a good thing. But what's the Velo'osa Behem Shvatim? Had he not done punishments against the Egyptians, Dayenu? Why, if Hashem punishes the Egyptians, why is that good for us? So, again, uh, as we said earlier in the text, the fact that uh, that uh, we explained in the Avodim Hayinu section, that when Hashem just does punishments against our enemy, it's clear that we are the children of a living God, and Hashem is not able to bring us to the point of total destruction because of the great chilul that's of Hashem. As Moshe Rabbeinu said to defend the Jewish people during the Chet HaEgel as well. Okay, so therefore... Uh, the, the the punishment is good for us to show, listen, you started up with my children, I want you to know I don't tolerate those things. So in other words, Hashem is not only taking us out of Egypt, but he's saying also that I'm punishing you because you hurt my people, and if anyone is going to be destroyed, it's going to be you and not the Jewish people. We could obviously answer as well, that certainly a person who has been, uh, uh, things have been unjustly done to a person, the fact that you, you know, restore uh, law and order, so to speak, that restores the person's dignity as well. So that's obviously, and you know, I'm sure people, Holocaust survivors, got a lot of consolation when he saw that the Nazis got caught and punished. Because... It kind of shows that no one got away with anything. And uh, and therefore the Jew appreciates that uh, you show how much Hashem is on top of things and did not forget about us during the suffering. Okay, we move on to the next one. Okay, had Hashem punished the, the Egyptians. But did not destroy their gods. So the question is, what, what does that help for us? There's still a lot of gods all around the world. 
and what's so specially nullified the gods uh, in Egypt. So he explains over there. Uh, he said he brings a Ramban in Parshas Lech Lecha, that he says that everything that happened with the patriarchs was um, foretelling what is going to happen in the future. So therefore, it's Misa of us, similar bonum. This is all part of the Misa of us. This is what uh, is happening to our ancestors. So everything that's happening to our happened to our ancestors in Egypt is also letting us know what's going to be with the future Mashiach. And therefore, that's going to happen as well, that in the future, when we get redeemed, all evil will be destroyed and there will only be good. And therefore, if we see that it happened in Egypt, and Egypt was the primary um, source of idol worship in the world at that time, so we know that when Mashiach comes, it's going to happen again. And therefore, it's, it's a benefit for us, for our, for our history. In other words, we're saying Mashiach is going to come, and when Mashiach is going to come, all the false gods will be destroyed. There's a lot of false gods being destroyed right in front of our eyes. Uh, they're very subtle gods, but uh, certainly we are seeing the destruction of the god of the almighty dollar, the destruction of the democracy, uh, capitalism. All these things are being destroyed, and that will ultimately bring a... Uh, benefit for us the next one is okay had you destroyed all our enemies he did not kill their firstborns again why is that good for us more than any of the makos that was there because the killing of the makos explains that hashem is the source of everything that happened in the delivery of the jews and it wasn't a malach. In other words, we are seeing that Hashem is directly caring about us and directly supervising our lives. And you could be misled and think, well, the other, the other plagues, maybe it was an angel, maybe it was a certain force. But to be able to discriminate between a, a putrid drop uh, that happened with an Egyptian and between that of a Jew and to recognize that with that clarity and um, timeline of going back years and years to know who was really a Bechor, who really was not a Bechor. So it's a benefit for us knowing that we can't even be misled to think there was any other aspect of our deliverance except it was from Hashem. Okay, that is that one. Now we move on to the next one. Mm, is, had you killed the firstborn and not given us their money, that would have been enough. Now, it's interesting. How is this a benefit for us? The Talmud says that when uh, Moshe, Hashem tells Moshe, he says, please speak into the ears of the people that they should borrow from the Egyptians money. And this is an expression of please in other words, why? Do, in other words, you have to cajole the Jews to do this. Why did they have to cajole the Jews to do this? Because the Jews didn't want it at all, the money. Okay? And uh, therefore, uh, the fact is that as they were going after Hashem in a place where there was no food, nothing for there. So the question is, what's the benefit? 
you know, imagine give give a kid who doesn't know the value of money a million dollars. What's the benefit to him? The Jews they went out. Hashem took care of their every need. So how is that a uh, a benefit for them? So again, the answer is everything is assigned for the future, for the times of Mashiach that are going to come before Olam Haba, and we will be told there'll be unlimited wealth. And since Shmuel holds, there's no difference between Olam Hazet and the days of Mashiach, except for enslavement of uh, of of other kings. So therefore, giving the money is a good thing. In other words, maybe they don't need didn't need the money then. But we certainly will need the money in the Mimos HaMashiach. And therefore, if the Jews left with a lot of money then, so then they will have a lot of money uh, when we need it in the future redemption. Okay, had you given them the money, had you given us the money, but you didn't split the sea for us. Now, the obvious, it it enough. So the obvious question is, what are you talking about? Had Hashem not split the sea, the whole story would have ended. We would have gone back to Egypt. So what's going on? And uh, so some commentaries say, Hashem could have saved us in another way. <laughs> he didn't have to split the sea. Uh, but then again, so what would what would that help? Uh, he would have to help us anyway. So he answers like this, what was the good part? It's we're able to see that what happened at the same time that the sea was split. Every body of water was split in the entire world. And that wasn't just every lake and every river, but even water in a cup was split in half as well. So therefore, it was recognizing our God to the whole world through us. It wasn't just our own salvation, but the rest of the world understood that God was involved in helping us and and because of his love for us, that is uh, why he, he did this. Um, next, mm. so we go on to, um, so we're going to skip a couple. Now we move on to had Hashem, um, not, uh, uh, Hashem giving us our physical needs in the desert. That's the next, uh, discussion. And why is this considered a goodness? even though Hashem takes care of everybody. Hashem, as we say in the Ashrei and other Psukim, Hashem provides food for every animal in the world. So what's the benefit that Hashem took care of us in the desert? So the answer is, uh, since we're in the desert and we have no one else to rely on, when you're out in the world, he has always all kinds of possibilities and Hashem can indirectly you know, have your parnasa come, somebody calls you and offers you a business deal, and, you know, you're supposed to believe it all from Hashem, but the Yetzirah can confuse you. But here, when you're in the desert, it's absolutely clear that if the man doesn't fall, you're dead. Not for a minute does a person think that someone other than Hashem is going to help them. And therefore, we got a great benefit in Amuna because we clearly went through this experience understanding that everything comes from Hashem and nothing else. So that elevation of Amuna was a great uh, benefit for us. Okay. Uh, and certainly making it Mun is even better because the Mun prepared us to be able to receive the Torah. Okay, what about Shabbos? 
Well, Shabbos is such a benefit because Shabbos is uh, equal to all the mitzvahs. And therefore, it's like Hashem gave us the whole Torah even at that point. And then at the end, when we finish all this, we say, Allah has kama v'kama, all, on the, all the more so, tova kafula umuchupela samakalayim, a goodness that's doubled before, uh, for us. So what's this idea of like this doubling over here? Just say, you know, all the more so that Hashem did all these things. As we said, had Hashem done any one of these things, dayenu. But he did all these things. What's kafula mechubeles? It's like doubled over. Again, the answer is because all these things that happened to us in Egypt will happen again before Mashiach. So whatever we see, saw in Egypt is going to be a doubling of this. So that's the overall, some of the details of this. I was thinking as I was going through this, this is not from the Savior, but I was thinking maybe another insight. And you find this in a lot of relationships that a lot of times people expect, well, let's say in a marriage, people, you know, you, 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 you know you want to be nice to your spouse and you expect your spouse to be nice to you too. And there are lots of um, discussions or arguments in terms of which way to go. And, you know, sometimes one spouse will have it their way, sometimes one spouse will have it the other way. Or what if there's things that the spouse does that um, is um, upsetting to us, certain behaviors are upsetting. And uh, and then we, we want them to do certain things. And it's not always easy for them to do things. And then we, we kind of say, you know, just uh, can you at least do this for me? And the person will do it. Okay? But then another situation comes and then we say, well, can you at least do this for me too? And it almost seems that if you don't, that is a problem. So if you look at the relationship, the way the Jews understood in, hind, in, in hindsight, they're saying, you know, we didn't have, Hashem didn't have to do everything for us. If he did one thing, Dayenu, Dayenu, it would be enough for us to know that he loves us. In other words, how many times does someone have to prove to someone else that they love you? Do we always have constant expectations that, listen, Whenever I want something, you have to do it. And if you don't do it, then the love ceases or at least it cools down. So in this, we see 15 times. They say, listen, if you would have taken out of, of Egypt, that would be enough. That, that shows that you loved us. And okay, if we'd have to keep going on our own, but listen, you did an amazing thing for us. Any one of these things, and each time everything this happened, it was something we needed. So now comes the next time I need something. So what's inherent? What are they really saying? They're saying, you know what? If you would have done just this, it'd be enough. Now, some commentaries say it'd be enough to say halal all day long. But it's the same idea. In other words, if, if somebody does something to show that they love you, don't demand that they have to always prove it. Because they now God can always prove it. Because there's nothing that stops God. But even by God, we said, if you only would have done this, that shows that you love me. 
again, you have spouses that say, you know, how come you don't say you love me? So the husband says, sir, I said it once. I've said it many times. <laughs> Why do I have to keep saying it? Well, maybe, okay, that, that's interesting. I, I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices for you in my life. Do I have to constantly do this? How many times do I have to prove myself to you? Now, obviously, we're not talking when a spouse all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the marriage decides to turn to become not a good spouse. But a lot of times, things just go on automatic pilot. And, you know, it shouldn't go on automatic pilot, but, like, why do they always have to prove this? What if the husband says, or the wife says, oh, this, this I can't do for you. What do you mean? If you really love me, you'll be able to do it. I can't. Well, the last time you did something for me was a year ago. Okay, so then that's why I love you. It's almost this constant. If you don't continue, now, I'll give you another example of this. Let's take it out of marriage. Let's say with business. Okay, I have certain suppliers that I use for the show. Okay, and generally they're good suppliers. Okay, what if a supplier makes a big mistake? What am I going to do? How should I react to that? Yell and scream at him? What if what if the uh, what if the uh, the food didn't come out so good this time? What if he whatever didn't do the order right? So am I? But you know I have a relationship with this supplier. He's been supplying me for a long time. Most of the time, he does a good job. But now, oh, this time he didn't do good. I'm not paying for it, and I give him a tongue lashing. I give him a warning. This I'm not going to. That's. They've shown you that they're a good supplier. And let's say one time, the guy forgot all about it. He forgot all about it. And uh, one time the supplier says, Oi, I forgot all, it was like Friday. And then the email says, Oi, I forgot all about your order. And I can't make it now. But I'll come up with some other things and you won't have to pay for it. You know, instead of what I asked for, whatever else is lying around. So I said, that's fine, it's not a problem, and you know what, and I will pay for it. You got to realize, it's not, relationships don't hinge as, you know, this is against what one of the airlines once said in their um, advertising, we're only as good as our last flight. That's a Goyish understanding of life. Because why? They're talking to Goyim. <laughs> so Goy is a Goy is a Goy. Goyim don't, most Goyim don't appreciate this concept. Every time has to be perfect. If it's not perfect, I'm going somewhere else. But guess what? You're going to keep playing this game because nobody's perfect. If you understand nobody's perfect, they, they don't, now if they constantly are bad, you know, if a per, you know, it was a different guy who wanted to be my supplier. So I said, okay, as a Jew. So I said, okay, you know, I'll, uh, it says, you know, why don't you try this? I said, well, I'm really happy, but okay, I can give you a little business too. So I, I asked them to get one thing, and we served it in shul, and people didn't like it. His style. His style. Then I said, oh, sorry, people didn't like it. Well, you could always try this. I said, okay, I'll, I'll try this. People don't like that. Then I tried a third time. People didn't like that. I said, I'm really sorry, but it seems that the taste buds of our members are not, you know, isn't suited for what you can offer. Okay, that's different. But when you're dealing with people that are generally, um, you have a, they've proven to you that they're good. 
And you know, it's so funny because a lot, of the, and, and when they know they blow it, they, they're, they're, they, they know from other customers how they're going to be yelling and scream at them. And I tell them, don't worry about it. You don't have to apologize a million times. You just said one time you forgot, you're human, let's move on. And that I think is a very important point as we're coming uh, almost to the close of the Seder. We have to realize that don't expect Hashem that our love for him will always depend on him doing every single thing that he wants for us. Because the Dayeno is saying, and I think that's a that's an, a good uh, exercise that a family can do at the Seder. You should have everyone come compose their own Dayeno about their spouse or about a friend. And you could say to your spouse, you know, had you only, uh, you know, uh, well, let's just, I'm just taking a random example. Let's, let's say you're retired. Okay, so now, Tony, you don't make any money. Okay, you don't make, you don't make any money. Oh, so now, no reason to love you. Because <laughs> you don't make any money. So your wife could say, you know, the fact that Tony worked for 30, 40 years to support me. If, if you do, if, no, if you do nothing else. No, no, if you do nothing else, Dayeno, I still love. You know, you could tell your wife the fact that you gave birth to my two children, even if you do nothing else, that already shows Dayenu. And you, there's plenty of Dayenus you can list. What's the point of that? The point is so when they don't come through for you, or it appears they don't come through for you. See, a lot of times it looks like Hashem doesn't come through for us. Uh, uh, for example, the Holocaust. Okay, so you, you don't see any benefit? You think God, who already shows he loves you, would hurt you? So therefore, that's the real Dayenu you really want to get. That makes it real. If you could say Dayenu about people you know, uh, organizations you deal with, and to compose your own Dayenu, this will be enough. But look, look, and you've done this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and you really did a lot of things. So we have to get to a point in our in our relationships that we've reached a dayenu part. That I don't you don't have to prove yourself to me anymore. Now, of course, that should not be a cue for you to be lazy. Oh, I don't have to prove myself anymore, so I don't have to do anything anymore. No, you don't have to prove yourself. Means that sometimes when you can't do it, it doesn't diminish the fact that you love this person. You know, sometimes in marriages, they say, listen, if you can't, if you really loved me, you would do this. If you really loved me, you would do this. So then the spouse could say, but I've done over the years 15 things. Don't I really love you? Maybe I just can't do this. What if I'm not emotionally equipped to do this thing for you? Does that mean I don't love you? If I never did anything for you, Okay. So I think this is a good way to end the Seder because now we have to you end the Seder and I got a whole year ahead of you. So how many times are we going to demand God to prove himself to us? So you want to kind of add and say, and, and but it's not just that he did this. So we can go further. In our own lives, we should compose our own Dayenu. And there's all kinds of things you could say, you know. Uh, I could have had you, the fact that you had me born in a first world country, and not a, a third world country, Dayenu. But there is a concept, as, as you 
alluded to a, a little bit before, that in a marriage, you're, you're really not supposed to say, I love you to your spouse, like once a year. The concept is it has to be reinforced all the time, and it's not good enough to, 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 to just not say it on an ongoing basis. There is that concept, right? That concept is not a, uh, an initial concept. What I mean to say is, this is a modern concept. What I mean to say is, do you think 150, you know, the, the famous uh, Fiddler on the Roof, do you love me? No such thing. 100 years ago, you think Rav Moshe Feinstein turned to his wife and said, I love you? I'm sure not. You know why? Because they each knew they loved each other. Yeah. As I said in the last Shabbos' class, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. If you do things that show, saying I love you is such a artificial thing, or sometimes you don't know if it's true or not. Like you could say I love you all day long, but you never do anything that shows you love them. But certain people are advising in this world that people are so superficial that they have to hear I love you. Okay, so is that more of a Goyesha concept, do you think? Well, it, it, here's the issue. You're asking a good question. The issue is since Jews have assimilated, or religious Jews have assimilated many non-Jewish concepts, and one is being superficial. And... Um, and it could be that even internally they're not doing things to love each other. So, okay, it obviously helps to say I love you. But if you really are showing your love for this person, you know, your, your spouse comes home and they're having a meltdown. And you stop what you're doing. You're very busy. You stop what you're doing and you empathize. Doesn't that scream out I love you more than saying I love you? You're, you're calling your spouse, you have certain spouses, whenever they're talking to each other, they're like, I love you. What for? Now, I'm not, so, you know, for the snowflake generation, who, who, who everything is just, you know, I need constant attention. You know, they say to do this because marriage counselors know people are, are too exhausted to put any effort into their marriages. So let's make it easy. But in the real depths, you know, there's no such thing having to say, I love you. You know, if you look in the Torah, Hashem demonstrates his love more than saying his love for us. If anybody who did these 15 things for you, Tony, took you out of, uh, you were in prison. The guy took you out of prison. Then he supported you till you can get a job. And then he made sure you got a job. And then he found a wife for you. And then you couldn't have children. He helped you have children. And all, and going on and on and on. And then you were disabled. And he paid all the bills for three years. Does he have to say he loves you? No, it's demonstrated. So that, that's the issue over here. And, and, you know, but if you're living in a world where somebody is telling you, they're not saying it out loud, but if <clears throat> their behavior screams out to you, I need you to say you love me because if you don't say it, I'm not smart enough to understand that you do. Okay, then you say you love them. If that makes them feel happy, you'll say you love them. 
I, the fact, I, that, you know, parents give their lives for their kids, but you never said you love them. Who paid for this? Who paid for this? Who went to see your school play? Who went when you had to go to the hospital? I was the one. Who stayed up all night for you? And I have to say, I love you too. Well, you had to do that. No, I didn't. Go to some uh, um, uh, slum areas where fathers, you know, have kids and run away and don't take care of them at all. I didn't have to do that. And when you got older, did I have to do this? Did I have to do that? So, you know, the main thing is to show. But so, so we have to have an attitude of dayenu. That's the real point. That it's not just Hashem we have to have dayenu. We have to have dayenu too. In business world, you have to have dayenu. With family, you have to have dayenu. In terms of lowering down the constant expectations that you have to always do these things. So this, you don't have to wait for the Seder for this. You can do dayenu uh, Friday night dinner. You could start, you know what? We're going to start preparing for Pesach. We're going to start singing dayenu, but I came up with a new variant of the dayenu. And then you could say to your family, this is the Dayenu song that I have. You know what? If you have that, you'll never have to say I love you. And that's how you want to end the Seder, so to speak. Okay, we'll end this with Dayenu. And then uh, tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week, we get to Rabba Gamliel Haya Omer, the three things of Pesach, Matzah, and Moror. Shkoyach.